Today is sermon number two on the three-part series on heaven. And I'm reading from Revelation 21, verse 22, and then into chapter 22. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God, and of the Lamb down in the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night, they will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Last week I talked about how many, if not most Christians, have no real notion about waiting, what is waiting for them when they get to heaven. And because of that, many Christians live for the wor this world instead of the next one. Today I want to talk about what heaven is like right now. I will be using scripture. I'll also be using accounts of people who were in heaven for an extended period of time and came back. None of these accounts are anti-scriptural, but some do go beyond what John tells us in Revelation. It's okay to question these accounts if you wish, but I would ask you to ponder these accounts and let them fire your holy imagination about heaven. As John alludes in Revelation 21, everything in heaven is brilliantly lit it is brilliantly intense. The color, as one person said, the colors there are vivid beyond anything on this planet or in this universe. I saw colors I would have never believed existed. The landscape of this incomparable city was beyond description. And he said, each of our senses are immeasurably heightened to take it all in. Another person said that, and, 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 those of you who have gardens, you will like this, that he saw roses, and some of them were several feet wide. Some flowers were gold, and yet they were transparent. By the way, that's the way gold works in heaven. The streets of gold are transparent, it says there. John emphasizes the, the light of heaven. Richard Sigmund writes, nothing in heaven casts a shadow. The light is even from every direction. Just as there are no tangible shadows in heaven, there are no emotional or spiritual ones either. And another witness said, an energy seems to go through everything in heaven. I believe it is the Shekinah glory of God. The Lamb, Jesus, is the light. The power and presence of God saturates everything in heaven, which includes us. When we get to heaven, we will glow too. The glory of God will so saturate us that we will give off light ourselves, for we shall become like him. 
As C.S. Lewis said, you know, and this is paraphrasing, but he said, if we saw the person sitting around you, if we saw them in heaven, we would be tempted to fall down and worship that person sitting beside us. We will be luminescent, yet we will still be us, the best version of us. Our gifts and talents and personalities will be restored in heaven and magnified. Don Piper said that in, he, in heaven, he said, I saw my great-grandmother, Hattie Mann. She was Native American. As a child, I saw her only after she had developed osteoporosis. Her head and shoulders were bent forward, giving her a humped appearance. I especially remember her extremely wrinkled face. The other thing that stands out of my memory is that she had false teeth, which she often did not wear. My granny dipped snuff. It was just as bad. Yet when she smiled at me in heaven, her teeth sparkled. I knew they were her own, and when she smiled, it was the most beautiful smile I had ever seen. Then I noticed something. She wasn't slumped over. She stood strong and upright, and the wrinkles had been erased from her face. I have no idea what age she was, and I didn't even think about that. As I stared at her beaming face, I sensed that age has no meaning in heaven. Age expresses time passing, and there is no time there. All of the people I encountered there were the same age they had been the last time I saw them, except that all the ravages of living on earth had vanished. Even though some of their features may not have been considered attractive on earth, in heaven every feature was perfect, beautiful, and wonderful to gaze at. I got good news. There will be no ugly in heaven. That makes things better right now. I know, by the way, what I'm going to look like in heaven. I have a photo of me when I was 21 at my physical peak. In that picture, you have to do a double take to tell if it's a picture of me or Tom Cruise. I'm not joking. I look like Tom Cruise. Or wait a minute, rather, Tom Cruise looked like me. It's no wonder Kim fell in love with me. How could she resist? One day, Woody Cruise is coming back. Except I'll be humble about it. Okay. I will be the me God created me to be. Why? Because all sin will be gone. All anger will be gone. All egocentrism will be gone. All worrying will be gone. All addictions will be gone. All damage that life inflicted on us through the ages will be gone. All mental illness will be gone. All cancer will be gone. All hate will be gone. The ravages of time will be gone. All death will be gone. And we will be exactly at that point for the first time exactly what God made us to be. All the way sin warped us, damaged us, took us away from our real selves, will be removed forever. The real you will be finally revealed when you get to heaven. We are not Buddhists who say that in nirvana or heaven is when like, we are like drops of water into the sea, ocean, and there we are absorbed. We say the opposite of that. When you get to heaven, you will be you. As Bruce Milne writes, the self with which we were endowed by the Creator in His gift of life to us. The self, where our worth was secured forever in the self-substitution of God for us on the cross, 
that self will endure into eternity. Death cannot destroy us, and heaven doesn't want to. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What makes us unique, what makes us special, is what will survive in heaven. In fact, our real uniqueness will will be uncovered for the first time. Imagine you perfect. Imagine you not screwed up. Instead, imagine your perfect self in every way with the glory of God pouring through you. And so much more. Every person who seems to have spent any time in heaven says that we no longer live by the laws of physics that exist in this dimension. People aren't afraid of heights because in heaven we can float or fly. In fact, travel in heaven seems to be at the speed of thought. You think where you want to go and you're there. You think who you want to see and suddenly you are with them. And then there are the mansions Jesus promised to build, especially for us. Every mansion is tailored to our tastes, our personality, our histories, our desires. Everything will be perfect for you down to the last detail. And some in your desires, some of your desires you didn't even know you had, they will be taken care of in heaven too and in your mansion. Imagine, you know, it's easy for us to imagine clothes, tailor-made clothes. You pick the color, and then people size you up. Well, guess what? In heaven, you get tailor-made furniture. The architecture of the building somehow will represent the essence of who you are. Art will express your heart. As Randy Alcorn writes, your place in heaven will be made for you and you alone because you were made for it. Made for it stitch by stitch as a glove is made for a hand. And here's some really good news. You won't have to clean it. That should be right. Some of you are pigs. You need to rejoice this morning. I see some elbows uh, working it right now. And on that day, we will receive rewards specific to our life. What we give here will be multiplied exponentially and given back there. Again, Randy Alcorn said, occasionally we hear stories that provide us a small taste of what we'll learn in eternity. One morning after I spoke at a church, a young woman came up to me and asked, do you remember a young man sitting next to you on a plane headed to college? You gave him your novel, Deadline. I gave away a lot of my books on planes, but after some prompting, I remembered him. He was an unbeliever. We talked about Jesus, and I gave him the book and prayed for him as we got off the plane. I was amazed when the young woman said to me, he told me he never contacted you so you wouldn't know what happened. He got to college, checked into the dorm, sat down and read your book. When he was done, he confessed his sins and gave his life to Jesus. And I can honestly tell you, he's the most dynamic Christian I've ever met. Alcorn says, all I did was give a little talk, give him a book, and pray for him. But if the young woman hadn't told me, I wouldn't have had a clue what happened. That story reminded me how many great stories await us in heaven and how many we may not hear until we've been in heaven a long time. We won't ever know everything, and even what we shall know, we won't know all at once. We'll be forever learning 
that kind of thing in heaven. How many times have we done small acts of kindness on earth without realizing its effects? Got good news. God is watching. God is keeping track. In heaven, he'll reward us for every act of faithfulness, every kindness, every cup of water given to a thirsty person in his name. Nothing in heaven will be forgotten. Nothing will go unrewarded. From heaven's perspective, as Mary Neal writes, every choice we make today affects the choices we will have tomorrow. Planet Earth and the humans living on it are truly interconnected. And there is no action without some sort of reaction. As I preached several weeks ago, little is not little in God's kingdom. Everything matters. Another person writes, it is from numberless diverse acts of courage and belief that human history is shaped. Each time a person stands up for an ideal or acts to improve the lot of others or strikes out against injustice, they send forth a tiny ripple of hope and crossing each other from a million different centers of energy, those ripples build into a current which sweeps down the, wall, the mightiest walls of oppression and resistance. Such is the kingdom of God. And Jesus pays attention to it all. He remembers the $5 you gave a stranger, even though you thought you probably were getting ripped off. But you thought, what if they really needed it? What would Jesus do? He remembers... How kind you were to your neighbor who couldn't mow her yard. So you did. Summer after summer after summer. He remembers when somebody used the N-word and you said, you're talking about my friends and my brothers and sisters in the Lord. Every time you spoke for others and justice, Jesus noticed. He remembers when you were dead tired, but you called a hurting friend anyway. He remembers every penny you gave every contribution to missions, every prayer for someone other than yourself a half a world away. Part of your reward in heaven will be meeting those people from Zimbabwe and Ghana and Colombia and Tibet who your prayers and who your giving touched. What the world has overlooked, Jesus will remember. And he will tell us what he remembers, and I like this part, face to face. When it comes to giving recognition, Jesus does not delegate the job. Gabriel does not hand to us the crowns of life. Michael does not plead for us and say well done at the throne of God. Jesus will seek us out and will reward us himself. As it says in 1 Corinthians, God will praise each one of them. Not a church at a time or a or a family at a time. Our crown, our rewards are given in person by Jesus Christ. Jesus himself will look into the eyes of each one of us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's joy. I hope you get the math of that. In heaven, faithfulness in a few things here, ends up as many blessings there, multiplied, shaken down, pressed together, overflowing. You can't beat the interest rates. But the best rewards will be to see God himself and his son. We will get to see the Father on his throne, although we won't be able to look directly into his face. 
Everything in heaven flows into and out of that throne. The structure on which the throne rests is massive, according to several people who have seen it. It is miles tall and miles wide, with thousands of steps that lead to the Father's throne. Great waves of glory emanate from it. And the Father is covered with a cloud of His own glory, radiating from Himself, an all-consuming fire. Massive power emanates from the throne. As one person said, when you get near the throne, it sounds like millions of dynamos of surging current. And from the throne flows a river, a river of life, a river of mercy, a river of grace, which at the end of its journey ends up right here in our hearts. You know, when Jesus said, out of your bellies will flow rivers of living water, guess where the headwaters are? The throne of the Father. Waves of liquid love flow from the Father's throne. Richard Sigmund said that as he viewed the throne, he was engulfed in a torrent of the greatest love and the most absolute acceptance he had ever known. He said, nothing like that on earth has ever come close. And he said, thousands upon thousands climb those steps to the throne every moment. Each person getting closer until the person on those steps has absorbed all the love and all the joy their being can contain. And when they got to that place, they were transported by the Spirit to another part of heaven to revel in what they had received. I can't wait, you know, to do some throne climbing. In heaven, everything is perfect. Everything is exquisite in its beauty. But all other beauties dim at the beauty of God himself. This includes, as we read in today's scripture, the face of Jesus. One day we get to see his face. Jesus is, along with the Father, the most magnetic, the most beautiful, the most loving reality in heaven. In his face is absolute love. His eyes, said Jesse Duplantis, are like pools of love. And he said, I can't tell you the colors because the colors are like the ocean waves. He said, his skin is the color of light and waves of glory emanate from him as well as the Father. One day, Paul writes, all the people who have believed will be amazed at Jesus in 2 Thessalonians. Amazed at Jesus. We'll be amazed at angels. We'll be amazed at new bodies. We'll be amazed to see loved ones there. But nothing will compare to seeing God in heaven, to seeing the face of Jesus. One day what we have only seen in our hearts or envisioned in our imaginations, we will see with our own eyes. One day what we struggle to comprehend, we will behold fully. One day, John was blown away by what he saw there. Remember, this is the same John that walked and talked and lived with Jesus for three years. He had seen the eyes of Jesus gazing on the crowds dancing to laughter, searching the hearts of men and women. John had seen Jesus before. He had even seen Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. But he said, when, I got to when he had the vision of heaven, he said, it knocked him out cold. As John writes in Revelation 1.17, when I saw him, I fell fully in a dead faint at his feet. His face, as John wrote the verse earlier, was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. 
One day, John says, we will see him and live. One day we will see him and not be blinded. One day we will see him and what we've always longed to see. There's a woman who had a vision, and I, and I do believe it to be authentic. She said one day, from a long distance, alone in her home, she saw a ball of light coming at an incredible speed and stopping in her living room. When the light arrived, it hovered in front of her for a few feet away. And to her astonishment, in the center of the light was a face. And she knew intuitively and instinctively it was the face of Jesus. There were several overwhelming impressions which struck her about the vision of his face. First of all was the impression of life with a capital L. You couldn't help but feel it, she said. It was like electricity crackling all around him. Life, uninhibited life, eternal life, life on a different level than she had ever considered. She said, I've never felt anything like that before. It began flowing in and around me. And combined with that life flowing out of his life, she said, was this incredible joy. It surprised her. But she said that she kept smiling because as she kept looking at him, he kept smiling at her. That surprised her. She thought when she ran into God, she'd get a frown like a lot of us do. But he kept smiling. And she said that at times he would actually throw back his head and laugh for joy, spontaneous, uninhibited joy. Let us never forget that the most joyful person in the universe is God. When he was here, he was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. But that was because of the conditions down here. Up there, he is pure joy. But the one thing that really got to this lady, she said, was his eyes. She said she couldn't really tell their color. It was like trying to describe the color of the ocean. Have you heard that before? She said, he could look right through me. She said that, that he looked at her and that she knew that every rotten thing she, what, that was in her soul, he saw it. He knew everything she'd ever done that was she, she was ashamed of. And yet, she said, in that moment, he was totally uncondemning. And as she kept looking into those eyes, she said she saw, and I quote, an eternity of love unquote. That's her words. She said, I felt like I could look into those eyes a million years and never fathom the love that was being expressed through those eyes. Well, I got good news for you. We got more than a million years coming our way. When we look into his face, and we will, it will be like seeing everything new for the first time. Seeing and knowing him is what heaven is really about. Because as Augustine wrote, our Savior and God is the end of all our desires. He is the source of all our joy. Every other joy is secondary to Him. Every other joy is derivative from Him. The most exhilarating experiences on earth are tame compared to the thrill of seeing the face of Jesus one day. Again, Augustine writes, God Himself shall be our reward. We were created for that. We were created to worship Him. 
There is no higher pleasure. Not, not, not sex, not steak, not chocolate pie. There's no greater pleasure than loving and being loved by Jesus Christ. As Randy Alcorn said, there is no end to what he knows. There is no end to what he can do. There is no end to what he is. He is mesmerizing to the depths of his being, and those depths can or never will be exhausted. We will love him with every fiber of our being that day. And the more we love him, the more of him we can have. That is the essence of the worship in heaven. And we won't need church buildings. No more building funds. No more debts. No more organized religious programming. No more ushers. No more organ music. We will worship and love God as naturally as we breathe. You know why? Because as it says in Revelation, the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of heaven. You need no other buildings there. More and more He will love us forever. And there's so much more to tell you. But then that's the next sermon too. Today we're going to take communion. Pastor Linda is going to come up and share with us directions. But the one thing I want to tell you as she comes up is that heaven is coming for us. And what I've described one day will be our reality and what I've described will consume us with the fire of God's love. That should make all of us homesick. We're going to take communion and it says, you know, that we show the Lord's death until he returns. In taking of communion, let us remember what is coming. As we join in communion together this morning,